Well, good day and welcome to the Climate Report, broadcasting and podcasting exclusively here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. In California news, covering California's nearly 4,000-mile-long network of public water delivery canals with solar panels could be an economically feasible means of advancing both renewable energy and water conservation. Researchers writing in the journal Nature Sustainability said that the solar panels would help prevent water loss through evaporation. They said that pilot projects in India have shown the technical feasibility of several designs, but none have yet been deployed at scale. California's canal network is among the world's largest, and the state faces both a drought-prone future and a rapid timeline to move to renewable energy. The researchers said that solar canals could address both challenges. Canal-spanning solar panels are often supported by steel trusses or suspension cables. Both tend to be more expensive to build than support structures for ground-mounted solar panels. The researchers modeled costs in an effort to show how the benefits of solar canals outweighed the added costs of the installations. They said that cable-supported solar canals showed a 20 to 50% higher net present value, which they said indicated a higher financial return on investment. Shade from solar panels also could help control the growth of aquatic weeds, a costly canal maintenance issue. And the study said that every megawatt of solar energy produced by solar canals in California's Central Valley could replace 15 to 20 separate large diesel-powered irrigation pumps. Well, in Texas news, a new white paper said that natural gas fuel generation had the highest outage rate of all power generation types during the mid-February winter storm that crippled much of the Texas grid. The paper said that wind generation actually overperformed compared with expectations, and that solar recovered quickly after storm clouds had passed, and that solar did better than the Texas grid models even predicted. And the report says that, quote, solar contributed to helping keep more customers with power on as the grid climbed out of its depths. The white paper was prepared by a Colorado-based grid analysis firm. The firm said that wind underperformed during a few periods over the course of the days-long storm, but that this underperformance, quote, only lasted a few hours at a time. Winterizing wind and other technologies should become commonplace, the report said, because the cost of doing so is almost always cheaper than the consequence of not. The white paper also said that having high-voltage direct current connections to nearby grids could have provided an additional 500 to 650 gigawatt hours of additional wind generation across the blackout time period. And looking to the future, the paper said that in a hypothetical high-renewable energy Texas grid, wind and solar variability would still persist, but that adding 40,000 megawatts of storage would have met 
all of the February blackout requirements, quote, with room to spare. Well, the Texas-size electric grid shutdown that made headlines last month continues to have an impact on people living in the state. But it may also now affect production of new automobiles. That's because the state's failure to prepare for the dramatic winter storm and the resulting power outages stopped local petrochemical plants from operating, which is having a domino effect on the foam required to make new vehicle seats. When the state's processing plants had to shut down, they put a pause on refining oil, which meant that the oil refinery byproducts that eventually get used in seats, specifically propylene oxide that's needed for making polyurethane foam, were also not being produced for a while. And that lack is now becoming evident to the automotive industry to the degree that, according to Automotive News, which broke the news, the looming car seat foam shortage could alter automobile production starting this month. So that's right, the climate and Mother Nature shut down the grid in Texas, which shut down oil production, which shut down oil refinery byproducts, which shut down making car seats, which is shutting down making fossil fuel vehicles. So the climate Arctic blast actually shut down making fossil fuel vehicles. Well, on that same note, fossil fuel cars waste hundreds of times more raw material than their battery electric equivalents, according to a study that adds evidence to the move away from gas and diesel cars that will bring large net environmental benefits. Only about 65 pounds of raw material will be lost over the life cycle of a lithium-ion battery used in electric cars once recycling is taken into account. That 65 pounds of raw material lost is compared with 17,000 liters of oil, according to an analysis by Transport and Environment, also called T&E. A calculation of the resources for each relative to their weight shows that internal combustion engines burn material 300 times greater than what is lost when an electric car battery is scrapped. According to a transport analysis at TNE and an author of the report, Lucian Matthew, he says, our previous analysis has shown that electric vehicles emit 64% less CO2, including all the different stages like electricity generation and fuel production. But this still hasn't shaken off the argument that electric vehicles use up a large amount of raw materials. He says that our analysis shows that the raw material needs of EV batteries pale in comparison to the fuel burned by fossil fuel cars, which, unlike batteries, cannot be recycled. In the fossil engine battery calculations, they said that they excluded the raw material needed to produce electricity, and they excluded the raw material needed to produce the fossil fuel to run each of the different vehicles because these are each contingent on various factors such as national electricity mixes and fuel extraction efficiency pulling oil out of the ground. 
They say that in their analysis of that upstream energy use, what it takes to produce the electricity to run an EV and to make the solar panels and wind turbines that might make the green energy that runs the EV, they show that it would only make about a 5 to 10% difference in total energy consumption for electric vehicles powered completely by renewable energy. Well, other aspects of the two types of vehicles, the Brussels-based campaign group T&E said that battery electric vehicles were superior to their gas and diesel counterparts across either raw material demand, energy efficiency, cost, as well as eliminating exhaust emissions of carbon dioxide and other harmful gases. Well, the accelerating move to electric vehicles will entail environmental costs. Higher battery production will require more mining of materials such as lithium and nickel. However, T&E argued that the cost of oil extraction for fossil fuels represents a much greater environmental toll. The report pointed to a double standard used when assessing the relative merits of electric versus fossil fuel vehicles, which takes the use of oil for granted. Said the lead author, Matthew, when it comes to raw materials, there is simply no comparison. Over its lifetime, an average fossil fuel car burns the equivalent of a stack of oil barrels 25 stories high. If you take into account the recycling of battery materials for EVs, only around 30 kilograms of metals would be lost, roughly the size of a football. Well, in new international data, the world has only a few months to prevent the energy industry's carbon emissions from surpassing pre-pandemic levels this year, as economies begin to rebound from COVID-19 restrictions. This is according to the International Energy Agency. New figures from the Global Energy Watchdog found that fossil fuel emissions climbed steadily over the second half of last year as major economies began to recover. As a matter of fact, by December 2020, carbon emissions were 2% higher than December 2019. The return of rising emissions began only months after COVID-19 triggered the deepest slump in carbon dioxide output since the end of the Second World War. And the return of rising emissions is threatening to dash hopes that the world's emissions might have actually peaked in 2019 and always be heading downward. Well, Dr. Fatih Birol, the executive director of the International Energy Agency said, quote, we are putting the historic opportunity to make 2019 the definitive peak of global emissions at risk. If in the next few months, governments do not put the right clean energy policies in place, we may well be returning to our carbon-intensive business as usual. This is in stark contrast with the ambitious commitments made by several governments, one after the other. Well, the International Energy Agency was one of many influential groups to call on global governments to put in place plans to use green energy policies as an economic stimulus in the wake of the coronavirus crisis. However, a Guardian investigation revealed that only a small number of major countries began pumping rescue funds into low-carbon efforts, such as 
renewable power, electric vehicles, and energy efficiency last year. The International Energy Agency's first ever report to record monthly carbon emissions by region found a strong correlation between countries that put in place economic stimulus packages with a net environmental benefit. Countries such as France, Spain, the UK, and Germany. And there was a strong correlation between them and keeping a lid on carbon emissions. Meanwhile, the countries that had made the smallest contributions to green economic stimulus measures, such as China, India, the United States, and Brazil, they all recorded steep carbon rebounds in the second half of last year as their fossil fuel-based economies began to reopen. Said the director of the IEA, this is a clear signal that governments did not put as many green energy policies in their economic recovery packages as they should have. We warned that if the policies were not put in place, we would go back to where we were before the crisis, which is what is happening today. Well, in additional global research, carbon dioxide emissions must fall by the equivalent of last year's global lockdown, roughly every two years for the next decade, in order for the world to keep within safe limits of global heating, research has shown. Lockdowns around the world led to an unprecedented fall in emissions last year of about 7%, equal to about 2.6 billion tons of CO2 in one year. However, reductions of between 1 and 2 billion tons of CO2 are needed every single year for the next decade to have a good chance of holding temperature rises to within the requirements of the Paris Agreement. Well, research published this month shows that countries were beginning to slow their rates of greenhouse gas emissions before the pandemic struck, but they weren't slowed yet to the levels needed to avert climate breakdown. They were slowing before the pandemic. But unfortunately, since lockdowns were eased in many countries last year, there have been strong signs that emissions will now rise again to even higher than 2019 levels, severely damaging the prospects of fulfilling the Paris Agreement's goals. Corinne Lecaire, lead author of the study, said, the world stood at a crucial point as governments poured money into the global economy to cope with the impacts of the pandemic. She said, we need a cut in emissions of about the size of the fall from the lockdowns every two years but by completely different methods. She said governments must prioritize climate action in their efforts to recover from the pandemic. She said, we have failed to understand in the past that we can't have tackling climate change as a side issue. It can't be about one law or policy. It has to be put at the heart of all policy, she said. Every strategy and every plan from every government must be consistent with tackling climate change, end quote. Well, in some good news, across the world, research shows that millions of lives currently lost to air pollution, inactivity, and unhealthy diets could be saved each year if humanity takes the action needed 
to tackle climate change, researchers have said. The researchers said the findings highlighted the added incentive of improvements to human health from tackling climate change. Research from The Lancet's Countdown on Health and Climate Change looked at the health impact to individuals of boosting national climate action plans to meet the Paris targets. They looked at nine countries, including the U.S., China, Brazil, and the U.K. Well, the world is currently off track to meet the Paris goals, but the research found that strengthening commitments would also have significant benefits for health. Tougher measures to curb emissions would save lives through better, more plant-based diets, more physical activity from active travel, such as walking and cycling, and cuts to air pollution from burning fewer fossil fuels. The research, published in a special issue of The Lancet's Planetary Health Journal, looked at three different scenarios and the impacts on climate action to individuals' personal health. The three scenarios were carrying on the current path, or increasing efforts to actually achieve the Paris goals, or a more ambitious scenario, which would put individual health at the heart of tackling climate change. Well, across all nine countries, simply implementing national climate plans, which would meet the existing Paris goals, could save almost six million lives a year simply due to better diet, 1.2 million lives every year just due to cleaner air, and 1.2 million lives due to increased exercise. That is almost 9 million people a year. Well, the lead author, Ian Hamilton, executive director of The Lancet's Countdown on Health and Climate Change, said, quote, our report focuses on a crucial but often overlooked incentive for tackling climate change. Unlike The benefits of carbon mitigation, which are ultimately long-term and understood in terms of future damage limitation, the health co-benefits of ambitious climate policies have an immediate positive impact. He said the report's message was stark. Not only does delivering on Paris prevent millions from dying prematurely each year, but the remaining quality of life for millions more still alive will be improved through better health. Well, speaking of better health for individuals, people waste almost a billion tons of food a year, a UN report has revealed. It is the most comprehensive assessment to date and found that food waste on our planet was about double the previous best estimate. The food discarded in homes alone was about 160 pounds per person each year on average around the world, the UN found. And in the UK, which has some of the best data, the edible waste represents about eight meals per household each week. The UN report also includes data on food waste, not just in homes, but in restaurants and shops where 17% of all food is dumped. Additionally, some food is lost on farms and in supply chains as well, meaning that overall the report shows that humanity on this planet grows a third of food that is never eaten. 
The waste damages efforts to help the billions of people who are either hungry or cannot afford a healthy diet, but it also harms the environment. Food waste and food loss causes about 10% of the emissions globally that are driving the climate emergency. And intensive farming is a key cause of the biodiversity crisis and global pollution. As a matter of fact, as alarming as it sounds, if food waste was a country, it would have the third highest emissions on the planet after only the US and China. But the researchers said cutting food waste was one of the easiest ways for people to reduce their environmental impact. According to the report, this potential has been woefully underexploited. Well, food waste had been thought of as a problem mostly affecting rich countries, but the UN report found levels of waste were surprisingly similar in all nations, though for the very poorest countries, data was scarce. The researchers said nobody bought food with the intention of throwing it away and that small amounts discarded each day might seem insignificant. Therefore, increasing people's awareness of waste was key, they said, such as using separate food waste collections by local authorities. Government and corporate action was needed, but individual action was important, the experts said, such as measuring portions of food, checking the fridge before shopping, and in increasing cooking skills to use what was available. As a matter of fact, the greater time available for planning and cooking in homes during coronavirus lockdowns in the UK alone appears to have reduced waste by 20%. Said Inger Anderson, the head of the UN Environment Program, which published the report, Reducing food waste would cut greenhouse gas emissions, slow the destruction of nature through land conversion and pollution, enhance the availability of food, and thus reduce hunger and save money at a time of global recession. Businesses, governments, and citizens around the world have to do their part. Marcus Gover, the head of RAP, W-R-A-P, a non-governmental organization that helped write the report, he said, we are so used to wasting food that we've forgotten its value and the cost that feeding our gl growing global population has on the natural world. Like it or not, we in our homes are the most significant part of the problem. The report was produced to support global efforts to meet the UN's sustainable development goal of cutting food waste in half by 2030 at the end of the decade. Well, good data on household waste was available for countries representing 75% of the world's population. Food waste includes edible and inedible parts, such as rinds and bones. The mix is about 50-50 in some high-income countries, but unknown elsewhere. Said Clementine O'Connor at the United Nations Environment Program, however, even if some of that waste can't be consumed by humans, there are environmentally preferable ways in which it can be managed. For example, by diverting it to animal feed or composting. What we want to drive home is we need to get food waste out of landfills. Well, RAP, the NGO, started a Food Waste Action Week in the UK earlier this month to raise awareness of the issue and drive change. 
Nadia Hussein, the chef and TV presenter, is a supporter, and she said from avoiding buying or preparing too much food to storing food correctly. This week is about helping people make the most of their food and helping protect our planet. Martina Otto of the United Nations Environment Program added, if you don't take action on food waste, it's a triple loss. It's not only the food that we're chucking out, but it's also all the natural resources and financial resources that went into producing that food. So let's make it a triple win. Well, in addressing food waste, there is such a thing as a free lunch, it turns out, according to an article in The Guardian, as long as you don't mind too much what it is. Tamara Wilson found hers a few streets away from her West London home, and as well as picking up some unwanted bread and fruit that would otherwise be thrown away, she made a new friend using a new app that cuts into food waste. Wilson is one of three and a half million people around the world using an app designed to encourage people to give away rather than throw away any of their surplus food. She said, it's such a small thing, but it makes me feel good and my neighbor feel good and a lot of small acts can end up making a big difference. Well, the last few years have seen an explosion in creative ways to tackle food waste by linking supermarkets, cafes, restaurants, and individual households within communities. Olio is the app used by Wilson. O-L-I-O. Olio. It saw a five-fold increase in listings during 2020. And the signs are that this stratospheric growth is going to continue into 2021, said Tessa Clark, Olio's CEO and co-founder. Well, there is also an app called Too Good To Go, T-O-O, Too Good To Go, where consumers pay a heavily discounted price for food and meals from businesses that would otherwise be discarded. And Too Good To Go has seen 34 million downloads of its app globally since it launched in 2016, and the numbers are growing. Other apps tackling food waste include Karma, which has one and a half million users, and Hubbub, which has created a network of more than 100, quote, community fridges in the UK in the past five years, a figure it hopes to double by the end of this year. Well, again, about a third of all food produced globally is wasted, according to the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization. Apart from the potential to eliminate hunger around the world, such waste makes a devastating contribution to the global climate crisis. Almost 1.4 billion hectares of land, close to a third of the world's agricultural land, is dedicated to producing food that is never eaten. And the carbon footprint of food waste makes it the third largest emitter of CO2 after the U.S. and China. Reducing food waste is one of the most effective ways of tackling the global climate crisis. And Olio is an attempt to rectify this on a small local scale. The CEO says the app connects people with others who have surplus food, but don't have anyone to give it to because so many people are disconnected from their communities. Users of Olio post images of surplus food that others in the neighborhood might want. Olio also has a network of 24,000 volunteers worldwide who collect surplus food from local supermarkets and stores for their app users to almost claim. 
It feels good to share, said Clark, the CEO and co-founder. It's an example of positivity in a pretty grim world. Well, then the app Too Good To Go focuses not on home sharing, but on businesses. They partner with cafes, restaurants, supermarkets, hotels, and independent food retailers to create magic bags, priced at about a third of the retail price. The customer picks up whatever is left over at the end of the day. You don't get to pick and choose. Well, that's all for today's climate report. Broadcasting here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. For more news and views in between broadcasts, and for post-show links to today's news, you can find the Climate Report page on Facebook. Stay tuned for more great programming here on KVMR-FM.